0: Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's Online Sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. All right. Good morning, Cornerstone. Um, welcome to the last Sunday of 2019. Um, yeah, we, we've made it. Well, we've almost made it anyway. Um, my name's Nick Schroeder. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, I was joking a little bit with Jason um, last year this time because uh, he was he had preached the Christmas service or the Christmas Eve service, and then turned around and and preached um, the the following Sunday and then into the new year and in uh, Among the ministry circles um, there 's kind of always this back and forth between senior pastors and youth pastors and the youth pastors always mark the last Sunday of the year as National Youth Pastor Appreciation Slash Pastor Taking a Break Sunday, so you're preaching. Um, but it, all that being said, um, Jason is uh, enjoying, I guess, a victory now. Um, at least part of their household is enjoying a victory um, from the Cotton Bowl yesterday. And um, like I don't take for granted what Jason does day in and day out. He is... He's truly a shepherd, not only to the congregation, but to the staff as well, and uh, it's nice to have him when they get back here, and so um, just when you see him when they get back, make sure to tell him thank you for all that he does. Um, So um, this morning, actually, we also have another group that are gone. You know, the Bogardus group is one section over here, Um, the... uh, We've got a group down at From His Throne Throne Ministries this morning, ministering to the the homeless population of central Arkansas, um, which if you've never been involved in that, I highly recommend at least going down there once. Um, It is an experience. It is a blessing. um, And it's something that we've... uh, It's an organization, a a ministry that we've partnered with for quite a few years now. So, Um, At the beginning of most every service in 2019, Jason has challenged us to... Take a moment to pray for people in our lives that, um, that don't know Christ, taking some, some time to um, pray for ways to reach them, to uh, encourage them in their faith or encourage them to faith. Um, and so this morning, we're going to take kind of round out this year, round, round out 2019 and doing the same. So um, if you would. We're gonna take a moment and pray for those individuals and um, then I'll, I'll bring us back into the service. Father in heaven, you are so good. And Lord, as, as around this room, we pray for those specific individuals, people in our lives, people that we know that, that don't have a relationship with you, Lord. We pray that, that you provide opportunities to show them the good news, to, to show them that gospel. And Father, as, as we go into this new year, Lord, may we continue to pray for them, but also take active steps just show them who you are in, the, in our lives, whether that's one-on-one or, or through others. Lord, we pray that more and more come to know you. Father, we also pray for Jason this morning as he travels home. He and his family travel home. Um, Lord, give them safe journeys. Uh, pray for the um, group that's ministering down at From His Throne. Lord, we pray that um, your light shines brightly through their hands through the, the meals that they're serving, through their interactions. Lord, we pray for our missionaries around the world, um, just all their needs, um, this time of year especially, Lord, as, as they're so far away from, from family members, from friends. Lord, we pray that, uh, that you give them an extra dose of comfort and encouragement. And Father, we thank you for this morning as we come into, into this community and celebrate who you are and what you've done in our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so we just celebrated what I hope was a Merry Christmas for everyone um, this week, you know, the, the next big celebration of the new year coming, um, ending out 2019, going into 2020, and as Dave was, was talking back there about Y2K and the prep that we started, I, I was I was actually out of high school when, when Y2K hit, but I remember driving around my little hometown of Lone Oak and seeing all the, are you prepared for Y2K signs uh, plastered on the banks, and well, well really just the bank. Um, people were worried about that, and the bank wanted to reassure them, um, though I don't know how they could reassure them. Um, but going coming into the end of this year, I've, I've looked back, over the last couple of weeks and been thinking about what this year was. Um, and I, one of the things that I've done is I've asked myself, what, what could I have done better? Um, and I think that as, as we all go into this new year, we think about that. What could we have done better? Um, what could we have done more of? Um, our natural tendency is to look at our shortfalls and our inadequacies and wonder just how we got into that spot or what we could have done to not be there. Um, and I also think, you know, how could I have been smarter? How could I have done this, be- this or that, better? How could I have um, made better choices? And the reality is, is we're always going to make poor choices in some area of our life. Like that's the sin nature that lives in us. We are, we are fallen. We are fallible creatures. Um, but I also looked at some, some of what went well this year um, in our family and our in the ministry, in our personal lives, in our social lives. And the biggest thing is how how did I honor God through what I did? If I'm saying I did these things well or think I did them well, um, how did I honor God in that? And then looking into this new year is another challenge because if you're like me, whenever you get to, the day before New Year's and you haven't made a resolution, you start kind of scrambling and writing things down, which for me is always kind of a, a danger because looking back at my New Year resolution, one of my New Year's resolutions last year was to read 100 books this year, and I think I made it through 20. Um, and I may have counted some comic books in there as well because they're super easy. But the danger that I, that I was reminded of is that when I start making those resolutions, I'm already planning to fail because I, I set that goal so high that it's almost unattainable. Now, I do know people that have read 100 books in a year and more power to them. Good job on that. I think 20 is probably the max for me. Um, But what I also realized through this is there's no way that I can hold any of these resolutions, these, these big ones, um, without making a change in my life. And most of the time, that change has to be something drastic. And that's not so easy to do. Um, it's not always a bad thing to have a drastic change in your life in order to make something better. Um, for instance, I'm now at the, the wonderful age where if I don't change my diet, my exercise, my lifestyle, I don't lose weight. Like I remember when I didn't have to do anything and, and I stayed pretty slender. Um, now, that's not the reality. And so those changes have to be put in place. You have to recognize that there is a change that needs to be made and then put that into place. And these big challenges don't just go to our physical life or our mental life. It goes into our spiritual life as well. Um, if we say that we are Christ followers, then we have to live that out daily. We should be looking for opportunities to share the gospel in all times, in all places, with all people. And that's one of the areas that I feel quite often is... I tend to want to pick and choose who I share the gospel with because it's becoming so much more um, offensive to our, our society at large. And so in an effort to not offend, I think we as a, as, as a society tend to pull back from those things that would be offensive. But it's not just a, a personal spiritual change that has to be made we have to make that change corporately, too, as a church. And and I think that we have started making those changes these last couple years, but we can't get so wrapped up in, in the little changes that we only focus on the little changes, because really, what drives that is the gospel. If we believe the gospel is true, then we individually and corporately seek to live that out in our lives. But... We all have to be reminded of that. We have to be reminded of, I have to be reminded of that frequently. Just like I have to remind my kids to turn off the light when you go out of the door. Or pick up your socks, put them in the dirty clothes, take the laundry out. We have to be reminded because we don't like change. So this morning, we'll look at Ephesians 4, uh, 17 through 5.2 and why, this should, why these changes should not just be a resolution at the beginning of the year, but it should be a reminder of the lifestyle that we've been called to through Christ. We have to live a life in a way that honors Christ before others see it, see that it is Christ who is glorified in our new life. So if you would, please stand as we read through this passage of God's Word. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given, th- given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him. And we're taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to, be put on the new, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and heart and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. How you work through through your, your word in our lives. Lord, may we reflect on your word, not just today, this morning, but Lord, throughout our lives and see your characteristics being fulfilled. Father, we thank you for this opportunity as a community to gather together and share your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I, I kind of toyed with whether or not to share this next story or not because it's pretty, pretty raw. It is humorous, um, but I decided to go ahead and share it because it's it, it fits in well as we go through this, um, through this passage. Um, so I was raised in Lone Oak, which is a small town not far from here. Um, was moved there. I think I was maybe one when we moved to Lone Oak, and I finally left at about 20-ish, and the only time I go back is when I see my parents. But growing up, uh, which Lone Oak's a small town, but growing up there, everybody knew everything about everyone. Um, It was kind of embarrassing at times, um, which you'll hear in just a second, but it was also it was also kind of refreshing because those people that I grew up with, I tended to keep as friends throughout my, my time in Lone Oak. And there are still several there that, I, that live in Lone Oak that I, that I call dear friends, even though we don't get to see each other very often. But Lone Oak's a small town, and so you kind of, it, the, the classes were, pretty uh, pretty apparent. Um, and and I, I would say, I guess, socioeconomic classes. And I, at that time in our life, I fell kind of more toward the bottom of that. But my parents were adamant about me, and then later my sister, having some form of etiquette. And Lone Oak had Cotillion. And so I got to go to Cotillion. Um, we did it, I did it sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So 1991, I think, roughly, is when I started Cotillion. My parents, uh, the house that I grew up in, is an old house. So it's, um, I think it's about 120 years old now. You can't tell it because they've added on and remodeled and all that fun stuff. But that's where we live. That's where I grew up. We lived, I grew up in the country. Um, we had a small farm there, and like, I was a farm boy. I wasn't a wealthy farm boy like some of the ones that I knew, but I was a farm boy, nonetheless. So my parents got me a suit, um, which was not fitted well at all, um, and, and some shoes that were uncomfortable, to say the least. And off I went to Cotillion. And I don't exactly remember all that I learned. Um, I will say I don't know this now. I don't know. don't remember how to do this. But I actually won a trophy one time that I was super proud of for the best foxtrot. Um, I'm sure I have that trophy somewhere in my attic, um, just because I don't throw things away. Um, but like, I don't remember where all the place wear goes or what glasses are for what, or I, I think I remember you start from the outside in, but then there's all the plates and all that fun stuff that I just don't remember. Um, not because at that time it wasn't important, but I don't use that now. We don't sit down for dinner with a 12-piece setting. Um, it's a plate and a fork and a knife, and that's good enough. But as I went through Cotillion, I was in, I was in this with pretty much everybody in my grade from Lone Oak, uh, at least that could afford it. And I don't know how my parents did it at that time, but I went. <laughs> and I remember, uh, and this is, this is where the embarrassing part comes in, there was a time in my life in my parents' old house that uh, in that crawl space, one of the vents somehow was dislodged. And we had a family of um, striped cats get under there. We had a family of skunks get under there and have a litter. And I, I distinctly remember waking up one morning. My mom drove a school bus at that time, so we got up really early. We didn't ride the bus with her, but she made sure we were up. I remember getting up and smelling this putrid smell in our house, and on our clothes, and on everything else that we had. And like any good mother, she made us go to school, um, despite what was about to happen. As soon as I got on the bus, my bus driver looked at me and said, what is that? And she, I'm sure she had to have known what it was already. And I was like, yeah, we, our, our house got fumigated last night sometime or this morning. And so we went on through this. And like, at school, I got nicknamed Skunk Boy for that small period of time, aptly so. Um, but then when it came Friday to go to Cotillion was the worst part. Because here I am, this small, um, poor country boy with an ill-fitting suit, going and having to dance with my fellow classmates in close proximity, smelling like a skunk. And like there was nothing that we could do at that point with our clothes. I mean, short of throwing them out, but we couldn't bring any new clothes in without also contaminating them. So for a period of my high school or a period of my middle school years, I was skunk boy. and no matter what I did, I couldn't get rid of the smell. Finally, actually, I think I waited at that little vent and shot them all as they came out one night. But um, I, I, I think that was a justified vengeance. Um, but that's, that's a period of my life that I remember um, very distinctly. But what I also remember is how gracious my family was. Um, my extended family, um, how gracious some of my classmates were um, and how they went out of their way to, to make sure that I knew that I was not a, a throwaway or a cast out. And so a- as we get into Paul's writing this morning, we, we get to see a reminder of how the past doesn't define our future living in Christ. This new life was not one that was earned, This new life that we've received is not one that was earned, but rather it was gifted to us through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, if we profess true faith in Christ, then there should be an evident change between what we were and what we now are. Paul begins this this section by reminding the Ephesian church of where they came from and who they are now. Uh, this isn't the first reminder that he's given them in this letter and, uh, nor in any of his letters. He starts off by saying, now this I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. And what he's saying to them, what he's doing throughout this section is he's giving them reminders for this everyday living. And the first reminder is they're supposed to live different. He's saying to them, Because you no longer walk as the Gentiles do, you're to live different. Paul's recipients, he reminds them, are not like the Gentiles. They're not like those who are darkened in their understanding. They're not alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that that remains in them. They are no longer hard of heart. These words that Paul is writing, he's also if you look back in Romans, there's a, there's a very similar passage there. In Romans 1.24, as he's, as he's talking about the, the Gentiles in Rome, he says, "'Therefore God gave them up to, their, to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie in worship and serve the creature, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen.'" And then he continues down in verse 28 We were that same embodiment at one time. Earlier in in Ephesians, Paul writes that he, he reminds the Ephesians that they were dead. They were necros. They had no viable life in them at all. They were gone. The thing is, is we don't like to be different. We don't want attention drawn to us typically, I mean, sometimes we do. We want to walk quietly by and not be the fixation of everyone's interest. Being different highlights that we're not like those around us. However, this difference, this difference that Paul is talking about is a state of position that all Christians are placed in when they truly put their faith in Christ. When it comes to living renewed, righteous, and holy, why would we want to choose the alternative? Why would we individually and corporately as Christ followers want to be insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, et cetera, et cetera? But the danger is is it's easy for us to get caught up in the sins of this, uh, the sins that plague us here in this society. It's easy for us, it will, it's easy for me to ruminate in the past, to think on it so much that I stay in that position until I'm reminded that I'm not who I once was. But that's not what we know. And it's not okay for us to let others do that either. We have this hope that's in us already. As Christ followers, we have this hope that is in us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. It's the gospel transformation of our lives. And the gospel isn't just a front-end passage to being a Christian. The gospel is a life lived out through Christ, sharing, living, and dying to the gospel. Paul goes on and reminds his audience in verse 20. It says, but he says, writes, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You weren't who you were before. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul's saying is if you have been taught the truth of Jesus and you have declared faith in him, then you have been made different. If the gospel, the good news, has penetrated their hearts and has penetrated our hearts, then there's no choice but to be different. When I was skunk boy, I didn't want to be different. In fact, it took a really long time before I could see what benefits that actually served. Because in that difference and through the work of the Holy Spirit, I know that God's grace abounded even in that time when I was not walking with Him at all. And He showed that through those people who loved me unconditionally. this old self that you have been called to put off is not to be put on again. The Greek word there for put off is me. And what that means is to put it aside, lay it, cast it away, never to be seen nor picked up again. And we see the same passage used by James and by Peter. In, in James one twenty one, it says, Therefore put away, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And in 1 Peter 2.1, he says, So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Lay it down. It's no longer part of you. Be different. We, uh, I've used this uh, as uh, an illustration of, of taking off old clothes. And I and I can tell you that when I was when I was Skunk Boy, I'm, I'm naming myself that now. When I was when I was Skunk Boy, I would have given anything to put that off, but at that point in my life, everything else that I put on still held on to that lingering stench. And if we're not ready as, as believers to do that, then all we're doing is putting on filthy rags again. Jerry Bridges of The Navigator writes in his book, uh, The Pursuit of Holiness, Paul urges us to put off our old self and to put on the new self. To put off the old self is to deal with sin patterns in our life. To put on the new self is to develop Christ-like character traits such as love, compassion, generosity, and forgiveness. And so we're reminded that we're to live different. We're also reminded that as we put off this old self and put on this new self, we're to live changed. Paul goes on to say in in verse 25, he goes on to, actually he starts off, therefore, and it's ingrained in my head. Anytime I see the word therefore, to find out what the therefore is there for. And this therefore points back to this changed life, to be putting on that new self. And if, and if we're putting on that new self, if, if our lives reflect the new self, then we speak lies and not truth. I'm sorry, we speak truth, not lies. Whew, that was gonna go a way different direction. Uh, we speak truth and not lies. As, a, as he says in verse 25, verse 26 and, and 27, don't let sin control your anger and don't let your anger turn to sin. I was, that, that passage has always gotten me, um, confused me a little bit. And I, I think I read through four or five or six commentators on just this passage. And what I, came, what, I, what I came to be able to hold on to a little bit better was we know that Jesus was angry. But he didn't sin. Righteous indignation is an actual thing. However, it's not something that we can freely handle ourselves without the Holy Spirit. Because I know in my life, anger turns to other things. I can't always, very rarely, can I just be angry for holiness sake. But I'm also very high justice, so I want to see things finished, to be made whole, to be made complete. In verse 28, he says, no more stealing. Like, let the thief steal no more. Let them work with their hands. Let them share. And if if, if that's not a changed life right there, then I don't know what is. In verse 29, he says, he reminds them, your speaking and living comes out of a heart that loves and forgives, not from a heart that counts wrongs. Verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I found this quote, and I thought it was great here. It says, you, we, we, Grieve over someone we love and have lost. But God grieves over our sin. When we're so entwined in our sin, it grieves God. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, along with all malice. Live that life that is renewed. If you want to be changed, Live like it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And we could have started there and worked backwards. We could have started at the front and worked down. But all of this comes back to one thing, and it's living out the grace that you've been afforded as a believer through the gospel. If that's not who we are individually and corporately, then we're not living the gospel out. Living changed means living out the grace that we've been afforded by the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was resurrected so that our sins are wiped away, so that that prophecy is fulfilled. When we live changed individually, our Community can't not change. There's unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is where, and I've been here for 13 years, and I think that we've done this well over the last couple years. But there was a time recently that we did not do this well. We had pockets of believers that were changed but when we walked out, it was hard to see that. We didn't practice grace and mercy and love well. But grace be to God that we don't live in the past. Luke records, this is probably one of my favorite favorite sections of Acts. In Acts two forty two through 47, Luke, show, Luke records how the new believers lived changed. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their positions, possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved." If, if living different and living changed doesn't reflect into the outside world, then we're not really living different and changed. We're insulating ourselves in our holy huddle. And I will tell you that I am horribly guilty of that. The world has to see that Christians do live different, that they do live changed. Paul continues on reminding his readers that they're not only to live different and live changed, They're also to live beloved. And this beloved infers an absolute necessity of imitation. It's being vain to assume the title of beloved without similitude of the father. If if you're beloved, then you live out that beloved. If you think of a king, and he loves his son, the prince, and raises this prince up, in the likeness and the authority that this king has when that prince goes out he carries the same weight of the king the son when he was sent out had the same weight Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. From the love of the Father, he passes to the love of the Son, whom God most endearingly manifests his love in us and to us through the Son. That, uh, that Greek word for beloved is probably one of my, it's in my top five favorite Greek words. And it's, the, the word for beloved in Greek is agapatos. It's, it's used 61 times in the New Testament. And in every place, that, that beloved, that agapatos love points back to a reflection of who is Beloved. Living beloved is a constant reminder of who you are from and who you represent and are called to live life as a reflection of to whom you belong. I'm sure that's not grammatically correct to say, but in, in my simple terms, how I understand that, if, I'm, if I am God's beloved, then I live as God's beloved. You are a beloved of God first and foremost. Jesus gave this commandment when, when being questioned by the Pharisees in Matthew 22. He says it, uh, in verse 37, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law, and the prophets. There's a reason why we reflect God's love, why we are God's beloved, why we show that outwardly. Because if the world, if I think about my own salvation, if the people that I know that helped usher me into that didn't love God, they wouldn't have loved me. They wouldn't have loved me enough to bring me into that place, to show me how my life was living contrary to what God has called me to. It also says, by loving God and loving others, means we don't love God when it's convenient. Or when we really need things to go our way, when we, when we need to rub the lamp He didn't say love others only if they look like you, speak like you, speak your language, or even smell like you. It was in all times, all places, regardless of the circumstances. That is the power we've been given as beloved ambassadors in Christ. If we think, if we are to think about how dead we were before Christ, that necros, that rotting flesh, and we likely wouldn't have done anything to do, then, then we wouldn't have wanted anything to do with us. But God did. And I think about that when we go to South Dakota. I think about that when we go to, um, from his throne. When, when we take ourselves out of these insulary pockets of holiness and, and get into the culture where Jesus is needed. He's needed everywhere. But when, when those, when we're away from our home, our comforts, we get stretched a lot more. It's one of the things that I love about this, about the trip we take to South Dakota. We sleep on cots. We work in houses that have no plumbing. Most don't have electricity. The ladies have to use an outhouse. But you you want to see somebody humbled and grateful at the same time? When, when Jesus is present, when, when we get to do the work that, that shows his love for his people, it does not go unnoticed. And so this morning, as we looked at this, this reminder from Paul to the church in Ephesus, I pray that as we go into this new year and, and make our resolutions, that this is not one that we wait until 12 o'clock midnight to start. That we don't wait until January 1st to put this in practice. But we do so immediately. And not as a, re- not as a resolution, but as a reminder to what we've been taught. To what we know. That we're called to be different from the world around us, different from our non-believing friends. We're called to be changed, and in that change show the redeemed person of, of Christ. And we're called to be beloved, reflecting to the world who we are beloved by. The gospel saves, and it's not just a front-end point of focus or a means to an end, but it's a lifetime reflection of admiration to whom has died and and bore the bore the pain and suffering of our sins um, and if this is the first time you've heard anything about what this gospel is or what it's like to live a, as a believer, I encourage you to to stick around. I know our elders are uh, several of our elders are here. we have some downtown at from his throne, I'll be down front. But if, if you have questions, ask somebody. Like this That's also not one of the things that I would recommend waiting on. Let's pray. Father God, as we go into this new year, Lord, I pray that that we look more and more for opportunities to glorify and honor you. Father, we thank you that that you are God, that we can reflect on your holiness and on your glory. Lord, I thank you that, that you bring your word, that you penetrate our hearts with it. Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that you be glorified, that you be honored. Father, forgive us when we fail. Lord, guide and direct us as we go. Father, be with us and give us the strength and courage to to live different, to live changed, and to live as your beloved. Father, we thank you for all that you do. We love you and we praise you, and it's in Christ's name we pray.